Eagle Gas Town. Convoy's on its way. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Please do not crowd the elevator as we discuss Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 11, which begins with the war rig leaving the Citadel, and it ends with the caravan on the quiet road to Gastown. We sent our guests for today around the corner to get us a couple of meatball sandwiches. I hope they remembered to get me two. Two, Utah. Two. So hungry, we should have gotten you three. Should have gotten three. I could eat the ass end out of a rhino. I'm so hungry. Yeah. It's Murrin Kennedy and Jessa Lowe from the Point Break Minute. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. It it is us. Thank you. Thanks for having us back. Thank you, Jessa. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we also luckily got some uh, we got some lemonade to go with those uh, uh, meatball subs because I'm thirsty after that last minute talking about all that water. Unfortunately for us, the only water we see today is the muddy puddles that these wretched are crawling through and knowing just how filthy these people are that water is not going to remain potable for long i don't think yeah unless they have a, like a nice uh, a nice filter system <laughs> which i doubt <laughs> you're right there's going to come a point where this water is no longer clean enough to drink and then another point where the water is dirty enough that it will actively make them sick but they don't know where that line is mm-hmm. these people have no clue where that line is and i suspect also they don't care if it is liquid, they will drink it, even mm-hmm. if it is mud by that point. I might even suspect that like dirty water would improve their health, even if it's dirty, because at least they wouldn't be dehydrated anymore, even though they right. might be infected by something. <laughs> at least they have some <laughs> fluid in their system. Right. And the, who knows what minerals and really just minerals would then be in that water. And maybe there'd be some parasite that could be their way out of this wretched earth. <laughs> Could be. Like, <laughs> maybe I'll die, but at least I'll die with my thirst quenched. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is a sad, dare I say, wretched way to live. Yes. Julia, you've said in the past that you never want to find yourself in this sort of situation. If the apocalypse ever happens. Oh, I want to go in the first round. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd rather live right next to the nuclear plant. I'd rather live right next to the military base that's going to get hit. End it quick. I do not want to live in the post-apocalypse. I've got a leather jacket and a motorcycle, and I could probably find myself a nice heavy lead pipe to bash people with. I mean, I could go out on the highways and do that. Okay, even more reason for me to get out early, because if I was your pretty girl sitting on the back of your motorcycle, I'm going to die soon anyways to a thing to my forehead. Well, obviously, I'd find you a crossbow. You could sit up on the back of the motorcycle and shoot guys as we ride by (laughs) okay that still wouldn't protect me from the feral child because i'm not going to shoot a feral child in the face with a crossbow you oh jessa you would shoot the feral child if that that child was after me and gonna kill me hell yeah or heck yeah i would you don't have any you don't have much sympathy for like children you don't see like a child innocent child's face that child's not innocent (laughs) well it sounds like you're ready for the apocalypse (laughs) you're 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 mentally prepared (laughs) i was gonna say that this place if it wasn't for the uh dire living condition this would be a pretty cool place to live would it yeah i think so i I just like the architecture of it you know the um you all the plateaus and rock outcroppings with like bridges going back and forth and 
There's, I mean, there is plenty of water if I had access to it. You know, if you had access. Yeah. If I was, so I, I guess I'm saying I would like to live here if I could be uh, <laughs> in Morton Joe. Well, I don't know if I'd say that either. <laughs> uh, he looks like he doesn't have a great life himself, you know, with all that, like, he has to wear a oxygen mask of some kind. And this whole his world skin is looks pain, terrible. Warren. This whole world is pain. <laughs> I remember you, I was going to say you said his name is Joe Moore. Yep. Or, mm-hmm. or it was. So is it like I'm more Joe Tan Joe? But he's not more tan because he's actually very pale. Maybe right. he is more tan than he was. Maybe that's why. But he just like does a powder on his face like 18th no, century. This, no, this is just tan version. This is tan Joe. Well, as I alluded to <laughs> on Monday's minute, his nickname started out as one guy in a crowd shouting, "He's immortal," and then the dude next to him taking "immortal" and just changing it to "immortan." So instead of everybody shouting Immortal Joe, they just call them Immortan Joe because I guess it's easier to chant. Okay, if you're shouting Immortan Joe versus Immortal Joe, I guess that Immortan and then a J, Immortal J. I don't know, they chant the same way for me in my head. The AL sound feels more clumsy going to a J right after it than the AN sound. And that's just how I'm hearing it. The L consonant could just last forever, whereas the N really signifies the ending. Hmm. But he is immortal. So, or okay, so how old is he? Do we know how old he is? A million. A, a million. <laughs> five. Yeah, just five. <laughs> Sorry. It doesn't specifically say how old Joe is supposed to be. Hmm. But if we go by the age of the actor. He's like 60 or something? So I would say 70s. Seven, yeah. He is in his 70s. Okay. That seems reasonable. What started the nickname? Do we know from like Apocrypha? Uh, was it like because he was, you know, he's fighting immortal, someone right? and then he like fought off some guys and looked like he was or he like survived some wound or something like that? He's immortal. It was the fighting and the surviving part. Like I yeah. mentioned on Monday, he almost single handedly took the Citadel and that feat alone happened out of the sight of everybody else. So people didn't get to see specifically just what Joe did to take that place they mm-hmm. just heard a bunch of fighting and they saw a bunch of their own dudes dying and then all of a sudden i think it was three days worth of fighting and then on day three joe just appeared oh really con- on day three i know oh. another biblical thing yeah the rock was pulled back and then everyone was like hey i guess he's immortal now yeah so it's about it becomes about the the stories about it like the people make up their own stories and the legends you know pass on and change sort of name of the wind style like Mm -hmm. it's about the legend Mm -hmm. and that's how he that's how he has control Mm -hmm. you do something that impressive and you can lord that over people for quite a while if you're handy with it for sure yeah so now that all the water theatricality is done furiosa puts the war rig into drive and starts pulling out and it makes me wonder if the release of the water is something that they do every time a war rig is about to depart does seem a bit ceremonial. Mm-hmm. What he was saying before uh, the water was released in a minute that we, we didn't talk about, but he does, it does seem like, yeah, I salute my Imperator Furiosa and, you know, I salute the war boys. And it's, it seems like this big grand thing. Like, we get gasoline from Gastown. Gasoline. Gasoline. <laughs> Which I love that. Uh, so, yeah, it, make, it makes a big deal out of it. It's make it seem like a really cool thing. Whereas, you know, they could just, you know, it's not just like being a... A shipping, a freight driver, you know, driving yeah. in the middle of the night, trying to get it done as quickly as possible. Also, no must, no fuss. One thing we learned in prep for this minute is that Bullet Boy or whatever his name is, 
Um, the bullet farmer? Thank you. And uh, and the people eater? Yes, thank you. Our br- uh, brothers of a Morton Joe. Is yeah. that what we learned? Yes. So why is he putting on this big show that he's going to go get gasoline? They might not be friendly brothers. Well, aren't they? They're maybe maybe tentatively. They help him later. This is uh this is way beyond our Sorry. purview, Jessa. I want to we got to watch ourselves <laughs> okay. here. Okay. Uh but yeah, we did learn that. Um but so yeah, I guess I mean, well I guess it's, you know, they talk about Gastown. Gastown, I guess kind of gives us permission to talk but about. But like why put on this huge show of like if like he's just like going (laughs) if he's just like going to his brother's house for a cup of sugar kind of thing can i please sir can i borrow some gasoline a cup of gasoline for my uh my cake um yeah i don't know i guess it's probably more just you know populate population control to make make it like if they think it's really hard to get gasoline then it'll seem more impressive i don't know is this something that you guys have thought about or talked about i just assume that it's for the masses mm-hmm. yeah. to put on a show of power to show his people that they have the strength and the upper hand when it comes to the other two towns in the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there are these three brothers in these three towns, you want to be the little piggy in the brick house, not the little piggy <laughs> in the straw house. So you want to make sure that you are the biggest and the baddest. And whether that's true or not, doesn't really matter. Yeah. I think what Joe is trying to do here, because at the end of the day, what Furiosa is doing, if you want to talk about if this was an amusement park, Furiosa is going from the supply warehouse and she's taking the little tuk-tuk car and she's driving a box full of frozen burgers out to the food stand. And she's (laughs) taking a bag full of stuffed animals to the Midway Games. Like, this is an incredibly mundane and routine thing that she's doing. Mm-hmm. But Joe blows it way out into this nigh unto spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Behold my water flowing forth from the rock. Don't become addicted to water because I'm your redeemer and I'm going to lift you out of the dust. And it's like, okay, just like Jessa said, yeah, you're going next door to get some gasoline from your bro. Like, it's not that exciting, but because Joe has such a cult of personality Hmm. built up around himself and the other lieutenants that he has controlling Gastown and the Bullet Farm, like, he needs to be over-the-top theatrical about it Mm -hmm. just to make sure that the stories about him stay impressive. And to play a little bit of devil's advocate here... Speaking of Keanu Reeves... (laughs) (laughs) We're looking at this from the perspective of four people who have plentiful access to food and water and shelter and oxygen and everything that we need to live comfortable, healthy lives. These people do not. Mm -hmm. Finding food and finding water is a rarity. It is something special. And yes, Immortan Joe has found himself a spot where those things are much more possible and more plentiful than elsewhere. It's still really, really special. So the very fact that they have the ability to put together this gigantic truck full of all these resources that give life, that is a rarity on this planet, this post-apocalyptic planet. And it is pretty special. As well as, I mean, there are marauders out there. So I mean, Mm -hmm. being the Imperator who does these trips back and forth, like it's dangerous. So I guess it's not just like driving a truck down Route 66. I'm sure there are dangers to that as well. Yeah. 
the title of Imperator given to Furiosa is something given after victories. Mm -hmm. So she has already proven herself capable. And you don't earn titles from a successful mission that was easy. You (laughs) earn titles from successful missions that were hard. Yeah. And the fact that he's calling out to everybody, hey, this errand is being run by one of my Imperators with a full retinue of Warboys backing her up. She's got two support cars, two support motorcycles, a ton of Warboys sitting on top of the rig itself. Mm -hmm. If there's anybody lying in wait to ambush just outside the Citadel and they hear Joe talking about all of these people that are going to be there helping out the rig. Maybe they'll think twice. Yeah, maybe don't ambush the convoy right outside the citadel for one thing yeah <laughs> also i just wanted to say to to save you from the tweets charlie's theron also a devil's advocate <laughs> what seriously yeah yeah she's a devil's okay. advocate she plays uh keanu Reeves, uh wife, wife or girlfriend thing. yeah cool oh nice that's their connection everything's so- connected just like <laughs> nyland john always say yeah so if you're if you're playing a six degrees of kevin bacon game you know that's that's a way to jump between uh those two you can get from Excellent. mad max for your road to point break I think the end point of our discussion is that Immortan Joe is not dumb. He knows what he's doing. He has a strategy here that is probably multi-tiered. Yeah, he's got a handle on what's going on. Cool guy. Yeah. (laughs) So it is finally time for the rig to leave. And as they pull out to leave, it's nice that the wretched have formed a very orderly little avenue. They don't even have war boys out there doing crowd control. So these people know exactly where to stand to not get run over and i'm sure one or two people have gotten run over in the past and that's probably where they're like okay let's not get right up against the road but as they leave now it's time also to raise the elevator that the tanker came down on i have a quick question about the path that they have formed Mm -hmm. that path is built upon the history of people getting run over so you stay back the Furiosa that we get to know in this movie, do you think she's one of the drivers who has previously run people over who are in her way Honestly, through that crowd? In this post-apocalyptic situation, you're going to run people over. <laughs> you know, it's going to happen. Folks are going to run out into the road. They're going to get in your way. Not any fault of your own. They're just going to run out there. And you know what? If they get hit, they get hit. And I'm sure the wretched aren't all just like saints. I'm sure they've all done horrid <laughs> things. Jessica, there are good people on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> I also want uh, we I learned this watching uh, we learned this watching the movie Near Dark uh, when we're sort of going through our Catherine Bigelow other movies uh, and uh, apparently it's it's very difficult to stop uh, a rig like that like a big rig mm. truck. Wait, what do you what do you mean we learned this from Near Dark? Like- no, the, the char- there's a character in Near Dark <laughs> that's a truck driver and they give like a lesson on how to drive a truck. Oh. You don't remember this no. because you don't remember things, but I do. Because my mind is a steel trap. <laughs> yeah. Sounds yes. familiar. So the big rig like this, this is a very big rig. It's a war rig, probably much heavier than a regular truck that you would see just driving in our world because it has all sorts of well, little like add-ons and yeah. guns and, uh, you know, a huge engine. It's very hard to stop this type of truck because it's heavy uh, and you need to pull, you need to put on the brakes of the trailer first. And then you put on the brakes of the cab. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because if you put on the brakes of the cab first, then the trailer will run the cab over. Yeah. So if you see someone running out in front of you, you can't just stop that truck. It takes a, a good 10 seconds. That was a near dark. That was a near dark. There was like a scene where they were like, 
That's a lie. You drive a truck. Yeah, exactly. And he talks about how it has 13 gears. And then it comes back when they, anyway, watch Near Dark for that. They run over Bill Paxton. Hmm. uh, And anyway. Yeah, and if you want other good examples of what a just regular stock truck can do, I would point you at Mad Max from 1979 and Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior. Both feature very prominently the destructive power of just a regular 18-wheeler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the one in uh, Road Warrior was really not that big. It was barely functioning as is. Yeah. I guess you could also say the train in Beyond Thunderdome was another good example, but that was a whole different type of thing. That was a steam engine and, you know, we're done talking about Thunderdome. We've gone beyond Thunderdome at this point. <gasps> You'll never go back. It's all, <laughs> forever beyond. <laughs> we're on Fury Road now. So one of the big guys up on the platform, he pulls this giant lever and the war pups start banging out a tune oh, and love it. the wretched that are on the big hamster wheel start walking. And that's the human power to raise the elevator. And we get to see a whole crowd of people rushing this elevator to try and get onto it. And it's here that we actually get a deleted scene. Oh. Uh, it was once here. It's no longer there. You can watch it on YouTube or on the Blu-ray as far as the special features are concerned there. Oh, I forgot that it was a deleted scene Yep. when I referenced it on Monday. So <laughs> the way it works is one of these tall guards with the big hockey stick looking things. He's approached by a woman who holds up her baby and she begs for the guard to take it and raise it to be a war boy. So the guard takes the baby. It's wrapped in a rag pulls the rag off and he's inspecting this kid and it's a rubber baby. So it's nice to see the infant from American Sniper getting work in (laughs) other things. But he's holding this rubber baby and he's like, oh, it's got lumps. It'll be dead inside of a week. And he tosses it back to the woman. So she catches the baby. Good for her. And then uh, she realizes that, okay, this kid's not going up the elevator. And then she hands the baby off to the person next to her, pulls out one of her breasts and says, then take me. I'm a milking mother. Or something like that. And the guard's like, sure, come on, get up here. And so he grabs her and brings her up onto the elevator. I mean, she's got the, like, radiation burns or something like that on her neck. She's not looking great. The two. Oh, so that's what, that's what you're referencing before, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was referencing before. But she produces milk, and so he pulls her up on the elevator. And in this wide shot that we see of the elevator going up, you can see the guards, they're going around throwing people off. But there's one person standing in the middle of the elevator. And I think that's the woman from the deleted scene. Ah. It's a remnant. Rick has such good eyes. (laughs) Elf eyes. It's it's very uh, last helicopter out of Saigon feeling. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That's Mm -hmm. the feel. That's the feel. It kind of reminds me of like a a contraption you would see at like a a sort of um, avant-garde fashion show. Like a big platform. With chains mm. on it that, like, RuPaul would stand on or something. Sure. I only kind of know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but that's what popped in my head. Yeah. It's like you who've been to many avant-garde fashion I've been shows. to so many. I'm such so, a fashionista. Such a fashionista. It's almost so outrageous that if you had, uh, maybe going back to the movie Zoolander, if Mugatu had done, instead of derelict, if he had done a post-apocalyptic line, he would have had a giant industrial-looking elevator raising yes. the models up and down sort of thing. Yeah, there you it's, go. You know, it's funny. That just reminded me. I'm actually, I'm in a play right now, uh, and uh, it's post-apocalyptic. Um, it's like after a nuclear fallout. 
And there's one scene where there's these two characters like in a in, in this guy's apartment, kind of like they boarded it up and everything. And they find some clothes and then he puts on this big leather jacket and he's like, oh, I'm post-apocalyptic chic now. <laughs> he does like a little runway like mm-hmm. imitation. So that's, <laughs> you know, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you get mm-hmm. through the, the, the days, those post-apocalyptic days. <laughs> it's the little things, especially, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to jackets and cars, you latch on to stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially if your name is Max. Mm-hmm. It becomes your identity. And yeah. when you latch onto people, they die. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for him. With the elevator done and over with, we cut back up to Joe. He walks away from his balcony there. And Rictus Erectus calls out to either one of the other Imperators or just someone else that's in the general vicinity. He calls out Signal Gas Town, convoys on its way. And this is the first thing that we hear from rictus erectus so it's Mm -hmm. good a time as any to get to know him so rictus erectus was played by nathan jones nathan jones Uh, imdb lists his best known performances as this one from fury road also he played a character named tk in 2005's the protector he played pither in 2007's the condemned and in 2011's conan the barbarian he played a character named akun So Nathan Jones was born August 21st, 1969 in Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia. He ran into a bit of legal trouble as a young man after being convicted of eight counts of armed robbery and at 18 was sent to the Bago Road Jail where he stayed for the next seven years. Whoa. While he was in prison, he learned about powerlifting and when he was released at 25, he started lifting competitively, eventually becoming Australia's national powerlifting champion. He's a big guy. Huge guy. His nicknames include Mega Man and the Colossus of Bago Road. He is six foot eleven and Whoa. over three hundred and fifty pounds. Jesus. Holy six cow. foot eleven. He's really six just foot a sprite 11. of a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a big, big man. Yeah. Sounds like as if he was thirty years older, he would have been a great humongous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He Began acting in 1996, but primarily had an extensive professional wrestling career between 2001 and 2008. He never rose to, like, huge prominence, but it was extensive. He went around internationally doing this professional wrestling thing. But he was sideswiped by a cement truck in Bangkok, (gasps) Thailand, and he got nerve damage in his arm. And that pretty much put an end to the professional wrestling. It just didn't quite work out for him after that but he continued acting in films all through the aughts and into you know the teens the the decade we're in right now and he even has productions that are in post-production right now wow one role that stands out to me in his imdb listing he was a small character in the movie asterix at the olympic games which was a live action french movie starring the gallic warrior asterix goes to Rome and competes in a series of games. I think some reviews have called it the worst French film ever made. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's that Asterix series, or Asterix, as you're, uh, you're pronouncing it very yeah. uh, fancily there. I, I don't know. But, uh, that's uh, Gerard Depardieu is in all those, right? Probably. I actually haven't seen any of them. I haven't either. I, I, I learned about them at some point, and it's just I was kind of amazed that I'd never heard about them before, but it's just, mm. there was a lot of them. But I bring it up because in the movie, he plays a gladiatorial combatant named Humongous. Oh, oh, nice. Nice. Spelled exactly how it was in Road Warrior. So 
That's why I wanted to bring it up. Awesome. And he has a lovely little baby necklace. Yes, he does. Zerictus has a lot of baby-related things in his outfit. I think as a way of referencing his simpleness, because he is a giant child. Like, that's his mm-hmm. gimmick. Mm-hmm. He's a six-foot-eleven, nine-year-old, so to speak. And he's his daddy's baby boy. Mm-hmm. He is. And then there's, there's the contrast of the very small man who is the, the more intelligent, thoughtful brother. Isn't that... Isn't that... I think when, uh, when they named Corpus, they called him Corpus Colossus to be a bit ironic because he oh. wasn't six-foot-eleven. But Joe has an interesting way of naming his children he names people like he's six and is like you know like <laughs> i'm gonna name my uh, rocky man or like <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting like i uh we'll get to this guy in a second but um it's interesting how especially with the war boys but i think with people in general especially uh in morton joe's family and like his following they're seen as mach- more as machines than people mm-hmm. and of course. uh i think naming them kind of like like he would a car almost like yeah. what I think it'll be funny if it's called, you know, the 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 blue blur or something. Like, I don't I don't know. I'm yeah. just making something. Yeah, but, they're uh, named kind of like horses. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like a horse. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. Let's throw together a couple of random words. And yeah, now it's a person. <laughs> but I was, I was going to bring up that's uh, the organic mechanic mm. shows up here and uh, he kind of has some um, as you see a little bit more about he like. He's a mechanic. He's not a surgeon. He's a he comes up. The next one. Yeah, we're gonna see yeah, him on Friday. Friday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. We'll just uh, I'll save that for later. <laughs> right. Because in the meantime, we are down on the road and we are watching the caravan drive away. We get to see in this moment and then another moment later on in this minute how Gastown and the Citadel communicate with each other. They're using a mirror to flash out a message. Now, we're used to seeing Morse code when it comes to blips and bleeps and all that other stuff. Now, considering that Immortan Joe was once Colonel Joe, he's probably using the international Morse code that we're all familiar with. And so I was looking at this blinking light coming from Gastown, and I wish I could have a steady look at what these blinks are doing. But where the camera is moving, we're not at the proper angle to be seeing exactly the pattern mm-hmm. that they're using, which is really unfortunate because I would like to know what Gastown is saying. If they're giving some sort of affirmative response to, hey, the caravan's on his way and they're saying, cool, I hope it has mother's milk or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Are they bringing anything to Gastown? Water or other supplies? Inside the war rig, they have aquacola, mother's milk, and produce. And those are the three things that are inside this tanker. Oh. What's aquacola? Oh, it's just water. Water. It's just okay. water. It's just uh, the fa- <laughs> fancy term for it. Exactly. The, yeah. To make it sound cooler. So as they're driving along, we cut inside the war rig and we just see Furiosa and she's holding on to her steering wheel and we get to see a good exampling of that artisan scroll work again. And then we do a close up on Furiosa and she's scanning the wasteland. And I have to think, if this were just any other day but today, this would be the whole movie. Yeah. Them driving along this quiet road, her looking out at things, it would be an errand and nothing Mm -hmm. more. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about the war boys who are on this trip who don't know that it's anything other than a normal trip to Gastown. 
they probably think that's a pretty cushy assignment. Mm -hmm. They get to get out and on the road and they expect it to be uneventful. They get to go see another place and like meet different people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the war boy that's sitting out on that lead vehicle, he's just sitting there, his hands are in his lap. He's not even manning the gun. No, he looks pretty mm -hmm. relaxed, having a good time. Yeah, out there in the sun. They do set the tone, though, that something's going to go amiss with the, like, thing that's, like, really quiet in the background mm -hmm. um, while she's scanning the horizon. And it, like, just gives you the thing of, like, ooh, all is not right here. Like, I don't know. To me, it does. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> it's probably a good thing that we don't have background music to our lives. Because then yeah. <laughs> we would always be paranoid. Yeah, like, like, oh no, the music changed. What's happening? Yeah. What's wrong here? Well, maybe it could give you a little warning, though. Like, oh, there's someone's like a spidey sense kind of thing. When it turns, the music becomes ominous. You're like, oh, I got to be on my lookout. But then when it's like a, a smooth jazz kind of like, you know, <laughs> snapping and bopping along, you're like, I know I'm good. Yeah. It's like when you're out there, and I'll use Skyrim as a good example because Skyrim is available on literally anything these days. You get little notifications up in the corner of your screen as you're playing it says you cannot save when enemies are nearby and you see nothing and you're like where are the enemies or you walk outside and suddenly the dragon attack music starts up and there are no dragons anywhere and you're like well this is unsettling <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's happening <laughs> the final shot of this minute we see the convoy driving along and we can see the signal light coming from the citadel and the camera's not moving so for once, I can actually look at these flashes and it's technically broken up between today and Friday's minute, but it's a solid shot lasts about six and a half seconds. And in that time, I see seven flashes. We get a set of two, a set of three, and then another set of two. The first set, I think you could count as long flashes, which in the international Morse code would be an M. And then the second set of three is pretty quick. So I think that's an S. And then the final two are also pretty quick, making it an I. So if I was clever, I could probably think, okay, what kind of phrases are commonly used in Morse code that involve an M, an S, and an I in fairly close proximity to each other? And I'm not clever, so I wasn't able to think of anything that was <sighs> passable in any way. S and I. Well, the M and the S could be the ending two letters of a word. And then the I could be the start of the next. I think that makes more sense than breaking up the M being the last letter of a word and SI being the first letters. Mm. As in a word that ends with MS and then the I could be the beginning of the word uh, incoming. Yes. Mm -hmm. I can't think of anything. No. Uh, yeah, it's a real head scratcher. Tim's coming. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Tim's incoming. <laughs> We'll leave that as a riddle for all of our listeners to consider <laughs> over the next couple of days, because that brings us to the end of today's minute. So we're going to check in with Max on Friday and see how he's doing. Spoiler alert, he's had better days. And then it's back out onto the open road with Furiosa, where things are about to take a bit of a turn. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. 
Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 11 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.